0: Hey guys, I'm recording this here on April 5th. It's Sunday. Everyone's trying to survive the crisis. Quick note to you guys. We are moving, you know, you used to delay these episodes by, you know, four to eight months after we recorded them in terms of releasing them on the podcast. We've changed that. A lot of these interviews you're going to hear over the next many months are going to be ones we recorded only days prior. We think that's a smarter way to run the show. I've made the change. So expect more urgent information coming out. Secondly, I am getting destroyed on iTunes reviews by these people that say, Nathan's rude, he's hard hitting, blah, 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 which by the way, I am. It's part of my style, it's what works. The problem is people that love that style never take the time to go leave a five-star review. So I only get one or five-star reviews on iTunes, and right now there's a streak of one-star reviews that is driving me crazy. It would mean the world to me, guys. If you're loving the show, you love how direct I am, you like the style, if you go leave a review on iTunes now, If you do that and tweet it to me, text it to me, email it to me, whatever you want, I'm going to reply with a very special surprise I think a lot of you guys will really like. It is heavy, heavy data oriented. All right. So I appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. ...launched Code Lingo back in 2016 to help solve this massive issue of technical debt. They built the company really around enterprises, which were chasing kind of a $50,000 ACV deal, then looked at themselves and said, oh my gosh, we're basically an agency, low margin, high touch, not productized. We want to change this. So they're going down market now, relaunching, really doing marketing strategy related to going after open source kind of uh, specs and helping folks make their code stronger and adhere to their own essential policies. They raised about $700,000 to do this. Seven people on the team in New Zealand. They've got about four months of runway left, hoping to raise here in the next month or two, or at least start. We'll see what happens. Hello, everybody. My guest today is James Meek. He's got 15 years of software development under his belt. In 2016, he quit his job with uh, Canonical, the company behind Ubuntu, to found CodeLingo and tackle the technical debt crisis head on. In a 40-hour work week, a developer developer spends over 17 hours on technical debt. He's become obsessed with fixing this and unlocking the true potential for development teams. CodeLingo does this by transforming the whole software stack into a big data data problem, detects anti-patterns, and then automates common development tasks such as code reviews, bug fixes, and generating contributor guidelines to name a few jesse you ready to take us to the top
1: yep absolutely
0: all right so tech debt is a very real thing it's even harder to actually quantify walk us through what you do and what your revenue model is how do you make money
1: so we just cut out cut the cut out there briefly yeah
0: no problem jesse yeah so so again technical debt is something that there's a real cost to it it's even harder to quantify help us understand what you do and how you make money
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, just uh, very briefly on quantifying technical debt, uh, Stripe came out with a really great report uh, in September last year. It's called the developer coefficient. They estimate technical debt to cost companies $85 billion annually. And they estimate a developer to be spending over 17 hours a week out of a 40-hour work week, one way or another, managing technical debt or bad code. So essentially, we're in the game of saving teams time and money and helping them write better code faster. Uh, so the, the core of the problem is that software developers are great at scaling up anything except themselves. So there's a core dynamic of transferring critical knowledge about the software system you're developing that works really well in small teams, but starts to break down as the team grows and as the software grows. So that's the problem we're solving is, is how do you maintain that high quality code, that high quality knowledge transfer as this, as the team and the product scales? And is it a um, SaaS so model? Yes. Yeah. So I'll tell you a brief, a brief story about journey there. So, uh, initially I'm, I'm a developer, um, gosh, uh, probably f- close to 20 years now. Um, uh, initially I, I built the product and was getting, uh, traction with, with enterprises. Um, oh, no,
0: Jesse, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to get that story, but first I want to get context where you are today. So can you just give us real quick, like it, it, average customers paying you about what per month to use the technology?
1: Yeah, sure. So I suppose that's why I wanted to tell that uh, tell that story is that we actually pivoted. So we were working with enterprises, but then we realized we're just not going to be uh, reach the scale we want to. So we actually pivoted last year, pulled back from working with enterprises and uh, built a, a SaaS model first. So a self-service model first. And we're really just pushing out into the market. We've just started pushing out into the market at the end of last year um, and just starting to, to pull up those metrics there. Okay.
0: But again, so so I want to capture more of that story because it's an important pivot. But if you look at your current customer base today, on average, about what are they paying per month?
1: Um, so right now, the the, the model right now is SaaS is uh, we're just going to beta, so we're not actually charging uh, charging anything right now. We're just trying to prove the value and try to get okay. it into the hand so your pre revenue. Between- yeah, um, s- as far as the SaaS model goes, we're pre-revenue. We did have revenue with uh, some of the enterprises we're working with, but since the post-pivot, we're pre-revenue because we're trying to push a new model uh, to go to a bigger scale. Ha-
0: well w- walk me through kind of what you gave up, the opportunity cost. So, so in the best month you had with enterprises, what was your MRR?
1: Um, nothing to write home about. We had a uh, we had one install in a large enterprise. We're looking at um, so it's going to be around what we're looking at. There was like around a 50k, um, reoccurring, uh, uh, annual subscription there. Um, but well, did it problem, actually close? Well, the, the problem, no, it didn't close. Um, we could have pushed through with that, but the problem is we're a small team and we really had to choose one thing or the other. Either we could be, um, uh, essentially we're turning into like a professional services model, uh, interfacing with these large enterprises. There's just so many touch points with those large enterprises. Or we could become a, a product-based company and yeah. try to track this SaaS model. So Jesse, so
0: stick with me here. I totally understand you want to tell the story. I want to dive deeper into it. But in your best month, closed MRR from enterprises, about how much? We're we talking about a grand a month or five grand a month.
1: Um, we're talking. Um, so we're probably talking best month would be around. Yeah, probably. Um, Probably around th- three grand a month. Okay, and when did
0: you realize that you're looking at your metrics, you're looking at what your team is working on the projects, and you said, "Oh my gosh, we're like an agency. Like this doesn't scale." And and how did you just how did you send the email to the customers going, "Sorry, like we want you to churn. We're moving down market in this ass play."
1: Yeah, it was really hard. It's probably the hardest decision um, that I, that I had to make in the in in the journey. Um, I suppose uh, you you just look at what are you doing on a daily basis and what's what's the outcome of the the effort that you and your team are putting in and we're just putting so much effort into just uh, landing one one client and there's just so much um, bespoke work that came along with it um, you have to get the whole um, the whole uh, on-prem piece sorted you have to interface with all those uh, different players and uh, just I took a step back and went. Okay, if we put the same amount of effort into trying to crack a self-service model where CodeLingo becomes a toolbox, essentially in every developer's uh, toolkit, um, we would get so much more bang for our buck if if if, if we spent as much time and effort that we're spending on just these one or two clients and actually treated the whole software industry as one client, then the the, the payout of that uh, would be would be much larger.
0: So, and then put this on a timeline for me. When did you launch the company? What year? Yeah,
1: sure. So um 2016, I and was the working pivot for- was last year. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Now you raised a little bit of capital. How much have you raised to date?
1: Yeah, sure. So um all up we've we've raised around uh seven seven hundred K. Um the the bulk of that came uh in 2017. So we raised from two venture capitalists. Um one was Reinventure, which is backed by Westpac. That's one of Australasia's big four banks. And the other one is RightClick Capital, which is part of the DFJ network of investors. Okay, when
0: you pushed them and said, guys, at the board being, listen, we've got to move to an SMB model. I mean, were they generally on board or what was their pushback?
1: A hundred percent. Actually, they probably pushed me more uh, in that direction um, because they they jumped on board and they're just looking at the potential of this company and they're saying, Jess, you're not pushing this to its full potential. Um, you, you need to play bigger. Um, and really, that was part of the Yeah,
0: but why I'm curious why the correlation to play bigger meant go down market because the exact same line of reasoning could apply to like we've had a lot of these companies on, for example, um, uh, QA Rainforest, right? Like they they did the opposite of you, right? They're playing, they're selling to devs, right? And they went way upstream. And then obviously they just did a massive merger and it would create a lot of value. So I'm just curious why you're associating going bigger with cheaper priced plans.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. So that um, would have to delve deeper into our strategy. Essentially, we're, we're playing towards a two-sided market. So don't get me wrong. Enterprise is part of the strategy. It always, is, it always will be part of the strategy, but it's more of a stage two. So stage one, what we want to do is develop a really vibrant developer community uh, and make sure that it's really quick and easy for these developers with their knowledge to encode their knowledge and help other developers write better code fast. How do you measure that? Is it like how many people in your Slack group or what? Um, so the campaign we're hitting right now is hitting open source uh, repositories um, on GitHub. In the past in the past month, we've had, um, so our bots automatically finds and fixes code. Um, we've had um, pull requests landed by companies like Google, Uber, Sky UK, um, all in the past few weeks. Um, uh, so we're just ironing out a few issues there. And then we hope next week or the week after to roll that out to about 2,000 new repositories, so we're really hitting the open source domain, trying to get uh, a lot of uh, traction and engagement there. And then the idea is once... once Wait, we Wait, Jesse, of I don't
0: understand. Sorry. By doing that in the open source community, how does that drive users back to Codelingo?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, basically what we're doing now is um, finding open source repos that have uh, contributor docs that say, hey, this is our standards. This is how we want uh, contributors... These are the rules we want contributors to follow when they write code to our repository. Um, and then our uh, uh, code goes goes through, analyzes that repository, and says, um, hey, did you know you're actually violating your own standards? Then we make a pull request, which fix it, fixes those standards. And then they. it's very hard for them not to accept that because basically they've been shown to not follow the, their own standards. So then basically you're proving value to the, um, to the uh, owner of the repository. You're proving value to the company behind the repository. Um, you're proving value to the community of uh, developers around that. So it's essentially a bit of a marketing play where, you're, uh, where you, by proving that value in a very visible place, you're actually getting uh, a lot of eyes on that. And then from that, you follow up with that and you say, hey, did you know we can also automate reviews? Did you know we can also automatically generate... Comp- Got contributor it.
0: What's your... Help me understand the team makeup today. What's the team size? Yeah, sure. So we're pretty small. We're just seven. Okay. Um, Everyone in New Zealand?
1: Yes, everyone in New, in New Zealand. We, we tried remote f- at first, but uh, we just found that we work better under one. I was one gonna reason. say, it
0: looks so peaceful. You have like the light coming in behind you, <laughs> the like, b- the Belgian linen hanging down with the breeze yeah. slightly hitting. And I'm like, this is like perfect yeah. working environment.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 middle, middle earth, that's right. I'm actually working from home this morning. It's a uh, school holiday. So I've just got my daughters here. Um, we're, at, we're at a co-working place down uh, in Dunedin. So that would look much more like your, your, your traditional. Well, the house, looks, the house looks beautiful. I'd work there every day. So this is, um, this is, a, I'll just show you the harbor out here. Oh, wow. This, it's gorgeous. Yeah. The advantage of working in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. i
0: work there every day. Um, okay. So how are you funding salaries for seven people? Do you still have some of the 700 grand in the bank account?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, we, uh, yeah. So we just look, we're, um, good old smell of the oily rag, um, living the dream, selling the vision. Um, so we're, 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 we're paying salaries. Um, there's a few grants coming in from, um, Things like NZT, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, um, uh, so New Zealand government grants to help innovation get off off the ground. So it was certainly leveraging those, obviously leveraging the investments, um, a bit of revenue from our activities with with uh, past clients, um, yeah, and just managing managing the the runway, right? Like the, where venture, the vision was always to be uh, a venture led. Uh, um, So we plan from, um, raise to raise. And so we just, just manage the, the, the runway really tightly.
0: So what is your runway right now? How much you have left?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) You're asking all the hard questions. So we're, we're, we're looking at, um, doing our next raise pretty soon. So depending on how, um, hard we want to put the pedal down, um, we'll be looking to do the next round as soon as, um, a month or two away or, or mid, mid this year. So
0: Jesse, is that, is that code for you have about two months of runway left in the bank?
1: Um, depending on how you look at it, I would say, uh, it would probably have four months if you really put the, the pedal down okay. um, or we can send that out. Yeah.
0: So you've essentially, okay. So you have a, right now you're spending X amount per month. You have X amount in the bank. When you divide those two together, you have about four months of expenses left covered in the bank in cash right now. You're going to start raising in about a month and a half. So you're giving yourself about what, two, three months to raise capital from start to money in the bank.
1: Yeah. So I always like to plan for about three months. That's just based on um, previous experience, three months from kind of opening the round to getting the term sheets in and then getting uh, uh, T's crossed and uh, I's dotted. Um, but like I say, look, there's always real room, right? Like you, you can always, uh, that that's based on the most aggressive plan. And if we need to extend that out, we can, uh, we can certainly extend that out if we need more time.
0: Yep. Yep. Very interesting. Okay, great. Um, Let me, let me see here. So when you raised the $700,000, was that on a convertible note or was it equity or debt?
1: Yeah, no, great question. So the first round I did was just our uh, angel investors. So I'm a first time founder. I'm completely unknown. I'm um, like, I, I worked at Canonical company behind Ubuntu, but other than that, pretty much unknown in New Zealand. Those so angels angel. though, was it on a note? Yeah. yeah, that was on a note. So the okay. first the first one was on a convertible note at a 1.8 mil um, cap. And then the second round wasn't on a note. So the second round was our, our pre seed that was from the, the VCs. Um, so that was... Um, that was just a straight, so the, the, pre, the, the pre-valuation was um, 3.8 mil. Um, so, yeah, around 4 mil um, uh, valuation, and we raised uh, 540K on that. When we went out, we're actually just looking for a bridge. We're only asking for 300 because we wanted to just a bit, bit of extra runway to do the next round. Um, all, of, all up, all of the offers we got in, um, we had about 2.8 mil all up in term sheets coming in. Uh, we oversubscribed just to let on the two VCs we thought would work best with, which is Reinventure and, and um, RightClick, and so that's why we extended out to um, 540k for that round.
0: Jesse, you must be persuasive as hell. I mean, you basically have no revenue right now. You're building a great user base. It sounds like you have a really incredible piece of technology, and you're selling it at a four or five million pre-money valuation. I mean, you're a you're a skilled persuader. <laughs> It's pretty. I just imagine people listening going, "Wait a second, Nathan, am I getting these numbers right?" I'm telling you, yes, you're getting the numbers right. But um, again, really, what you're banking on is the piece of code and the fact that this is a massive opportunity to go after technical debt.
1: Yeah. So I, I think I think what um, venture capital allows you to do is act irrationally in the marketplace, and that ability is what gives you the competitive advantage because we have this this capital. We can do experiments and developments um, not tied to a more traditional bootstrap model. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. And really this is an all or nothing play like, and and everyone, everyone on board gets that. Like we're, we're aiming to hit it out of the park. Um, uh, if we miss, we miss, Um, but we're not, we're not here to create a small self-sustaining business. We're, We're here to, we're here to tackle technical debt, which is one of the biggest issues in the software industry.
0: Very good. All right. Let's wrap up here with the famous five, Jesse, number one, what's your favorite business book?
1: Um favorite business book. Man, I'm going to really struggle with this. You can this
0: pass. You can pass. <laughs>
1: um Yeah, can I
0: pass? Oh, yeah, I'm going to pass. No it. problem. Yep. Number 2 is there a CEO you're following or studying right now?
1: Um oh, look, I hate to sound stereotypical, but it was probably, you know, everyone says Elon Musk. I mean, he's certainly certainly inspirational. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> Number 3, what's your favorite online tool for building the company?
1: <laughs> to be honest, Trello. We look at that every day. It's just, yeah it helps us number four
0: Spreadsheets. okay and how many hours of sleep are you getting every night <laughs>
1: um a little more actually I, I listened to this really interesting podcast on joe rogan and it talked about the importance of sleep and just how damaging it is if you um miss it so i'm making it a priority to get eight hours
0: good and what's your situation i think you mentioned girls so married single how many kids
1: yeah, sure. So three kids. Um uh, uh two from past relationship, one with a new uh a new partner. Um we as I showed you, we live out here on a little bit of land just outside Dunedin and we've got the um uh the startup hub down in the city.
0: How many out of curiosity, where you are right now? How many megs up and down do you have on your internet Wi-Fi? Um because here's what I always wonder. I always see these beautiful locations and I'm like, I do podcasts for a living and all this stuff. I'm like, I would love to like live in these locations, but I have this fear yeah. that I'm going to like buy a big, beautiful $5 million house in the middle of New Zealand. And then my, my meg up and down is going to be like 2020 and I'm going to be like, crap, I can't do interviews here.
1: Dude, we're, um, we're the gigatown. So we've got um, fiber um, throughout uh, Dunedin um, and direct, direct connection to the cable um amazing, um, amazing. So, can, we haven't had any we had one small glitch at the beginning of this uh conversation otherwise it's been smooth right yeah and i'm amazing. actually i'm out in the bush right now i'm just i'm not even using um um taking advantage of fiber here this is just um broadband that's amazing so, yeah, okay it's no problem.
0: all right so trell is a good tool there uh, uh kiddos three of them how old are you i am 38 38 yeah. last question what do you wish your 20 year old self knew
1: oh man where do i start um My 20 year old self, I wish, um, man, I'm just going to sound stereotypical again, you know, just that obvious, just, just believe in yourself, believe in your instinct. Um, yeah, don't, don't compromise. Uh, don't give a shit what people think. Just, just find that thing that you're really, really passionate about and, uh, and yeah, live for it. Guys, Um, go.
0: Believe in your instincts again. Launched Code Lingo back in 2016 to help solve this massive issue of technical debt. They built the company really around enterprises, which were chasing kind of a fifty thousand dollars ACV deal. Then looked at themselves and said, "Oh my gosh, we're basically an agency, low margin, high touch, not productized. We want to change this." So they're going down market now, relaunching, really doing marketing strategy related to going after open source kind of uh, specs and helping folks make their code stronger and adhere to their own essential policies. They raised about seven hundred thousand dollars to do this. Seven people on the team in New Zealand. They've got about. Four Four months of runway left hoping to raise here in the next month or two or at least start we'll see what happens but in the meantime jesse thanks for taking us to the top
1: awesome thank you
0: cheers